0: This ticker podcast is coming to you from the Citadel Securities Trading Post on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange.
1: Hi everybody. In the time before the virus, one otherwise obscure asset class with a ambivalent history was making a spectacular comeback. SPACs, special purpose acquisition companies. Last year, a record 59 SPAC IPOs raised together almost $14 billion. Uh, That's almost a quarter of the entire US IPO market. Now, who knows where the SPAC goes going forward, but I think they'll continue to thrive. One reason? They've got this unique structure that, in theory, insulates them from changing market environments. So, quick refresher, SPACs fall into the alternate IPO category. SPACs have two parts. In part one, a SPAC forms when investors give what is basically blank check money to a convincing management team. Those people, the sponsors, then have two years, usually, to buy an operating business. Pretty well, any operating business. So then comes part two, the de part. The operating business and SPAC combine through a reverse merger. ARBs move out, a whole new gang of fundamental holders eagerly move in, and boom, the private company is now a public one quick smooth easy peasy unless it isn't my guest on this ticker podcast says the dspac is the hardest part and the part some sponsors regret skimping on and he says dspac ir isn't your regular sort of ir this is kind of investor relations on some sort of stimulant Phil Denning is a partner at ICR. ICR is the biggest communications player in the SPAC space. Phil has this wonderful biographical anecdote that I think may reveal a lot about Phil, his life philosophy, and ICR's proactive and successful approach to SPAC communication.
0: Uh, When when I was a kid and wanted, wanted to make money, uh, myself and my brother, we wanted to have a landscape business. We wanted to mow lawns. And so we uh, uh, go out we were like, okay, what are we going to do to get clients? My mother said, like, you go out and you maintain our yard better than anybody else in the neighborhood. And anybody that asks, I'll tell them my boys did that and they're available for hire. okay that seems like a long sales process I would rather go out and start to try to generate some awareness and some visibility that we're here we want to work hard so I think that that's what it really comes down to is saying hey look you know we want to get out there and tell our story and you have to be aggressive in going out and articulating it, yep. not sitting back. So I think maybe some people feel like, hey, I've been a very successful executive or I've got uh, great advisors from a banking perspective and they're, they're, that should be enough. And if I find a good transaction at a good valuation, shareholders will come and find us. Uh, unfortunately, I think that's uh, proven wrong by the research, which is if you engage an, an advisor and you get out there from a, from an investor relations perspective putting all that infrastructure in place, preparing to be a good public company, uh, as well as getting out and telling that story rather than waiting for them to come find you.
1: Phil Denning stopped by the Citadel Securities Post just at the very cusp of the coronavirus arrival. On this Ticker Podcast, SPACs, where they come from, why companies and investors like them, and what makes SPAC IR. Special. First of all, SPACs are much more popular than I than I thought. Yes. C- can we uh, sort of talk about the evolution of the SPAC market and yeah. why it's having a resurgence now?
0: Yeah. It's it's interesting. It used to be the perception was that it was a, uh, a listing option of you know the last resort. Uh, now I think that there's been uh, a few things that have changed that have driven the overall growth of the SPAC uh, market and where we are today, where I think 2019 was a record year, is about $24 billion in capital out there looking for transactions that are in SPACs. Um, So I I think there's a a couple of things that happened. The main thing was that Late 2011, early 2012, there were some uh, changes uh, from a regulatory standpoint and kind of the structure of the SPACs as well as in listing standards. So there was the ability to list on the exchanges. Uh, so the, the the big changes were that there uh, a change in the vote structure. It used to be that you required a supermajority vote to approve a, a transaction. Now it's majority. Um, There's a change in the, the, the redemption threshold, so the shareholders of the SPAC IPO have the ability to redeem for the cash. It used to be a very high threshold that you had to, to meet, now they've lowered that threshold so that the transactions can go forward. So they've reduced the hurdles in getting a transaction We've done. That, done. The uh The exchanges? and the, the SEC. Okay. Um, so it, that's made it more uh, easier to get a transaction done, uh, lower the, the, the thresholds, if you will, or the hurdles. The other thing that's then happened is you've seen uh, the quality improve. So the the as a result of those changes, uh, you know, you you see bigger banks underwriting. The the deals, you see the exchanges uh, that are listing the the IPOs and they're competing for that business, the IPO business, because they know they'll get the ongoing listing if there's a successful transaction. Um, And then you've seen the the institutional investor market, the private markets, private equity firms, as well as the institutional investors seeing the value in the IPO. They, They kind of go in public through a SPAC transaction. And then you've seen the quality of the sponsors. The the, the the repeat SPAC issuers. They are very experienced management teams because a, a seller needs to know. Yes, they're going to get capital as part of the transaction, but ideally the sponsor is going to provide them with some uh, some also some experience and expertise in driving their business forward. So I think the combination of all of those things uh, has led to this significant increase in SPAC activity
1: what makes a SPAC different from a direct listing or an IPO and along those along those lines and pardon my ignorance yep. just just kind of a, an eddy segue here why wouldn't that private company just do an IPO itself why would it wait for a SPAC there
0: there there are a lot of uh, differences in, uh, uh, in in kind of why why you do it okay so i think one that's uh, is time and certainty Two, those are two things: <laughs> time and certainty. Um, so the 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 and and I'll talk about it from the from the the company side, but also from the investor side, the advantages to it. Um, so as a, as a company, when when you're entering into the SPAC transaction, you know uh, yeah, you the SPAC is it, it, it's a traditional IPO. They raise a, a pool of capital. Uh, that that ninety percent of the funds are put in a trust account and then they go look for a transaction. So there is the IPO element of it, um, but now they go and look and say, okay, now that private company, you're going to go public through a SPAC merger. Um, and so there, the, so the, the, the certainty of the timing and also the valuation. So the, the, the transaction valuation is agreed upon as part of that merger agreement. Whereas an IPO, you go out on the road and you say, okay, we're going to list between $12 and $14 a share. You go out, you do all the meetings, and then all of a sudden you get to the pricing meeting and say, okay, well, actually, we're going to issue fewer shares at a lower price or we're going to be above the range. So you don't know where the valuation is going to be, but there's valuation certainty. So as a seller, you know that, and then you have to go out and market the transaction. So that's the benefit from a, from an, a seller perspective. Now, each SPAC is different. So let's say that it's a private equity-backed company. Uh, the sponsor has, you know, they sometimes they're looking to pull out cash, and other times they don't need to pull out cash and they want to roll their equity into it. So they have the option in both ways. So uh, versus an IPO, they're going to be giving up some of their, their equity, taking it public, and then looking for opportunities down the road to exit their position through secondaries or, or other transactions, right? So this kind of gives a, an interesting opportunity here, where they can decide, you know, if it's something where they want to take the cash off the table, or if they want to roll their equity uh, and continue to participate in the the upside for the for the company. And then the if I if I can then talk maybe for a minute about like the difference of uh, from the investor side. So a big thing is as it's said about the IPO roadshow. The difference is in an IPO, you're on the road for. Two or three weeks out there selling it, and you and as a as an investor, you know you're you're limited uh, from the company side as to how much information you can put in the marketplace. It all has to be through the SEC filings, um, and there's the IPO quiet period and all that that goes there. Uh, so now the, the investors get one meeting, or maybe they're in a group lunch, and they have to decide what they you know if they're going to participate in the IPO. Then they got to figure out what their allocation is going to be in that IPO. Versus a, a SPAC, there's a couple of months window. Between the time that they actually uh, announce a, a, merger, a business combination and then the transaction closing, so they've got a lot more opportunity to engage with the management team. They have the ability to share forecasts uh, versus what, what you're not be able to do through a traditional IPO. Right. Um, you have the you have the ability to, to meet multiple times if you want, and then you you, you have the the ability then to. Uh, get more comfortable with the valuation and understand it and it gives the, the company the ability to leverage the media to get out there to tell their story um, talk about it. it's not, you have to have an attractive valuation in order to keep the investors engaged and want to say okay I want to I want to stay in this stock but you also need to articulate a growth strategy and how are you how are they going to see shareholder maximization how are they going to see value enhancement so that's the, you know, part of it there is getting out and telling that story and you, you have, versus a traditional IPO, you could be out there engaging with those shareholders, telling that story, leveraging the media, uh, and also making sure that your your employees, you're, you're engaging with them and telling them the story as well and getting them excited because they're going to be a public company, they're going to hopefully participate in the, the, the equity as well through, uh, the, you know, incentive compensation, et cetera.
1: There, there are two different phases. To a SPAC. There's a SPAC and there's this other de-SPAC process, yes, uh, yeah. a word I, I really like. <laughs> the the investors in the SPAC, you expect them, they're just there for the transition. You expect them to move out, right, There's By the spac
0: time? There's a certain amount of turnover, yes. Um, so there, there's uh, I would say that there's probably four phases of a, of a SPAC. Okay. you got the actual IPO, like yep. going and raising the capital. Um, then they then they identify a, a, a target. They announce that transaction. Then then you go through the de-spac process, right? So then that, that's now you. Then you're a publicly traded company once you have the successful de-spac process.
1: When do you ring the bell? Is it is it at the spac or is that when the merger company is announced? Uh, you you could probably do both,
0: right? Yeah. So there, so the exchanges are, are obviously uh, wanting to get the, the listings. They want the the, the issuers that are going to come to the exchange. So that's a, a big moment for uh, someone who's a SPAC sponsor, experienced, and they, they want to be able to celebrate that because it, it is a, a great moment and it's a step in the process and raise the awareness and say, hey we've raised this pool of capital, we're looking for a target within this space. So they want to be able to leverage that as a, as a sponsor, so that you want to ring the bell and you want to do some some awareness campaign and get out there and let people know that right. you're looking for a deal.
1: And that's a good way to do um, In fact, I'm just thinking, an yeah, IPO, you can't necessarily do that because you don't really know when your IPO is. Correct. Right.
0: Correct. And then you, have, then you have the, okay, now you've identified a transaction. Once the transaction is closed, Hopefully, you're able to. Now you become the you know typically the, the name of the company is going to change, the ticker may change. So you'd want to be able to do uh, a bell ringing at that point as well to come down to the exchange and celebrate that milestone in in that, that the evolution of that company now becoming a publicly traded entity. Okay. And, it, and it's a great okay. way to celebrate yeah. with you know the deal the, the, the deal team as well as the employees.
1: Do you have a preference for where a SPAC should be listed? I don't. So we've worked
0: with SPACs that have been trading you know, New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ equally. Um, I think that
1: they're uh, you know, equally. Would it be a good. question of size or, or, or industry? I mean, you know, I, I, I think two different market yeah, models too, right?
0: Yeah. They're, they're. Well, I think that the, the market structures are, are converging. Um, I think so. Is technology playing a bigger role in, in the transparency, pricing transparency, uh, pricing discovery? Um, so I think that there's... Uh, I think the markets. There's certain things that each one brings different, um, and I think that you know historically Nasdaq was you know maybe thought more of like the younger technology yep. companies um and you know now you have major technology companies that are listed here in the new york stock exchange so i think that's become less of it um i think that some people you know uh, like the, what new york stock exchange offers from from a, uh, a brand reputation and cachet so both of them bring a lot of great things to the table so from our side uh you know from the investor relations perspective the the listing is, where you choose the list is less of a of a concern, um, or sorry, less of a uh, uh, differentiation, and more about uh, you know that that's going to be the, the life as a public company. And I think both both exchanges do a great job of supporting their
1: their okay. issuers. Okay, fair enough. So so let's begin with with the life cycle then. Yep. You get the call. It's Thursday morning. Right. The management team calls calls you up. Right. We're, we have some thoughts on who we'd like to buy. Right. But we don't really know yet. Yeah. Take Go it for from it. There.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, you know in that scenario. You know, now we'll, we'll, we'll assume that they have already. Uh, i don't know we'll assume that they've already listed, so they've raised the SPAC, and then they they call us and say, "Okay, we we've raised the money." Now we want to get out there and, and find a target and we want to get our name out there. So we'll, we'll use that as the scenario. So the, the SPAC issuers come to us and say, hey, you know, we've we've identified uh, you know, the, a particular industry that we we want to do a transaction in based on our legacy experience and expertise and knowledge. Uh, so what we work with them at that point is is really awareness, getting out there and so because they want they want deal flow coming to them. Um, So that's going and say, okay, what industry conferences should you be at? Going out there, seeing companies, private companies, uh, getting to know what what the market is and who the players are, uh, raising the awareness, letting people know that you're you're in the market looking for a transaction, Um, getting out there and and talking about, as I said uh, earlier, the uh, one of the one of the things that a seller is going to be looking for not only capital but that expertise and experience that uh, a, a, a sponsor is going to bring with them. So we want to be able to make sure that you know some people have is you know, already established great media profiles through their history in, in prior companies, and others have been very experienced operators, but maybe not have had that that uh, public markets awareness. So we want to get out there and, and raise their visibility as well within within the target uh, industry media and say, hey, look, th- these are experienced executives raise that profile to, and then help them as part of the process of bringing identifying targets now
1: we get yep, I want to just circle back to that but yep. I, I'm a little confused so in the SPAC process you don't you don't you're not involved with the, the original SPAC listing
0: typically we, we can be but most of the time that there it's uh, uh, you know I personally haven't worked on on a spec prior to them doing the the IPO we Why not? get brought because they in
1: know they know the people to contact
0: and... um, you know I, I guess it's mainly been more the the uh, uh, the, the bankers that they work with, they have a certain sense as to the ability to get get a, a transaction okay. done. Right. And the typical buyer of a SPAC is a little bit different investor. They're they're very experienced in, in, in the SPAC structure. Uh, so it's a little more limited audience. But this that used they're to be retail to.
1: investors were into SPACs.
0: Right. So right but been. now it, it has transformed because as I said, some of those structural changes have made it more attractive for institutional hedge, traditionally hedge fund investors. Um, you know Some will call them like more cash ARBs. They, they had the ability to park some cash at a you know, uh, with very little risk, uh, and then they have the option if they like the transaction, they have the ability to continue to enroll their equity, okay. or they have the option to say I, I would rather take my cash back. Or if, if it's a successful transaction and the stock trades up, they have the liquidity then uh, to make a decision. So I think that there's uh, it's become more attractive as a result of some of those uh, changes that have happened through those the last you know eight plus years. Uh, that have made it more attractive to institutional investors. And then you see the, the you know, we, we actually just did a, uh, at uh, ICR, we just published a, a kind of a, a year in review, 2019 SPAC primer, um, and so, you know, available on our, our website, uh, icrinc.com. Uh, go, you can check it out and you'll see who are the, the the biggest institutional buyers at the IPO, and then who are the uh, who are the bigger buyers in the D-spac process? So what you're getting more into the fundamental shareholders, the Fidelities, the Wellingtons, the vanguards right. of the world, uh, because they then now coming in and saying okay, because they're they're buying the the management team and the company that's going to be continuing to list. So that's the transition
1: there. where they would come to you because so there's a, a, a relatively limited number of. of SPAC specialists institutions. I think it's a growing.
0: I think that there's a growing understanding of you know the the optionality that they have, the, you know, the the certainty from a cash perspective, and then the ability to bet on a management team and get a sense to get a comfort of like okay, particularly when you have experienced issuers, people that have done two, three, four SPACs, uh, those shareholders have a, a better sense as to their ability to identify a deal, close a transaction, and have it trade successfully. Hmm.
1: So then they'll bring you in. Correct. So then so now we're involved. They've been they've been trading for a while. Right. Hopefully. Yep. I mean trading. Yep. Doing okay. And then they they have uh, yep. uh, picked a target and they come to you and they say we need to expand our investor base and, yep. and convince them that this is the target and show them how great their operation is. Right.
0: So yes, so now at that point so they you know after they list, they have, uh, and that was another change that actually happened as well going back uh, to the 2011, 2012 period, was they expanded the window of time they had to do, to complete a transaction, to identify a transaction and announce it. Um, so now you, you know, I think you have up until 36 months. Most of them are going to be in a 24 month period to identify a, tra- a transaction or a target, a business combination. Um, so in that period, they, you know, we, we can help. The, the SPAC sponsor raised their profile, helped drive deal flow. They've now identified a, a target, a business combination. Uh, so we then work with the, the management team of the, the target, is now, they are historically been operating as a private company. They need to be battle-tested and ready to get out and, and meet with investors, institutional investors. Uh, so we work with them at that point then, is saying, okay, you know, we're gonna help you with all the merger announcement around that transaction. So there's going to be again. We want to get the media attention. So we want to make sure that we've got a media strategy around the, the business the, combination you transaction. You work with both groups, correct? They do this, companies. yes, exactly. So we're working with both both groups, uh, the, you know, because now you are into the merger process. Uh, so you have to live with within the the uh, the restrictions of a publicly traded vehicle, um, you know, that is the SPAC. Uh, but also then you have the ability a little more flexibility versus a traditional IPO about getting out and telling the story. Um, so the, you announce the, the transaction. You want to have a, a strategy around that from, a, from a, uh, you know, a media perspective, but also you want to make sure you have their messaging right and they have the management team has been trained uh, so that we're going to help them with all the communications internally and externally, make sure you're getting your employees excited, but also helping them understand, hey, look, we're going to now operate within the confines of being a publicly traded company. So if the media calls, you can't s- start talking to them. You got to make sure that they understand. You can't start tweeting about, you know, how the business is doing or anything along those lines. So you, you help them through all that process and prepare for then going out on the road. And now we get into the process of raising the awareness. And that's, uh, you know, we always say a ground game and an air game. The air game is that media. Media is a very blunt instrument, kind of getting the message out there. Um, But then the the ground game is the hand-to-hand combat with the shareholders getting out there and getting them excited about the transaction. So talking about that that valuation that has to be attractive, then you have to be able to tell a story about okay yes we know it's a good transaction but then what's the opportunity long term from a growth perspective so how do we we help them articulate that growth story and package that story and get it out to the shareholders and as I said versus a traditional IPO you're going to have uh, you know multiple opportunities to engage with institutional investors during this process um, so there, there will be a lot of times you'll in a in a SPAC transaction there'll also be a pipe which is a private investment in a public equity. Uh, so it's another vehicle of raising additional capital around the transaction. So they, they're in this process. Uh, it's called wall-crossing process, which is bringing in institutional investors, spending more time with them, uh, and they are going to be making a, an additional investment into the, into the transaction. If it's successful and the shareholders vote to approve it, then they, uh, they raise additional capital. So if it's something where they've identified a target where they need to raise more than what's in the trust, they need to go out and raise additional capital. Is that
1: a risky thing? Are, are there occasions when the shareholders don't vote? for that?
0: Um, th- There are occasions where okay. where, the, where okay. the shareholders don't approve the, the transaction, um, but it, I think that uh, you know, mo- most of the time you're uh, you have a pretty good sense because I think particularly the experienced uh, issuers uh, have recognized, hey, look, that the uh, we, we need to make sure that it's a compelling transaction uh, and it has to be something that's attractive to the to the shareholders to. To vote in favor of the transaction. So, interestingly, uh, an organization called Spac Research just did a uh, an analysis of uh, Spac IPOs since 2015. They went back and looked and said, okay, which which companies used a, an IR firm and which ones didn't, and looked and tracked to see, okay, how do they perform? Uh, and you know, not surprisingly, about uh, about half, a little over half, used an outside agency, and those that did outperformed. And because they, I think the, the whether it was a, a choice from a, a cost perspective, or if it was something where the inexperienced issuers said feeling that they they could handle it on their own, not appreciating uh, all the things that need to go into that de-spac process. Right. Um, so we we say that you know it, 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 this is kind of investor relations uh, on uh, you know on some sort of stimulant. So like you really need to get out there and aggressively. Uh, Engage with the shareholders it's not the the difference is that you know during a traditional ipo you have the uh the book-building process, right? So that those people are buying, they know what they're they're investing in versus now you're coming in as the company that's going to be merging with this publicly traded vehicle and those shareholders, you know, you're inheriting a shareholder base. So you know that there's going to be, some of them are going to continue to be shareholders in the, the, the existing, the, the new company, the newly formed public company, and some are going to choose to sell or they're going to take their cash back. Uh, but you need to now build a shareholder base that the more traditional fundamental investors that understand your industry, that understand your business, and are buying into that.
1: And you you have to do that quickly, you have to line them up fast, because there's going to be this leakage, Correct. right, of, of sometimes quite substantial Correct. leakage, Correct. Right? Yes.
0: So we want to minimize the leakage, leakage hopefully by having an attractive transaction, having an experienced team, and then having done a good job of articulating the growth opportunity. Huh. So now you have that, you know, they go through and, uh, you're, you know, from, from an IR perspective, and I think for, for your listeners, the IROs out there, you know, they, they, it's about all the traditional things you need to do. It's, you're not going to inherit any sell-side coverage. No analysts are going to be covering the, the company. So you need to get out there and work with, uh, ideally, an advisor, ideally ICR, um, and help you go out and say, hey, look, who are the analysts that are covering it, and figure out ways to make it attractive for that analyst to cover the stock. Um, you know, you need to go out and find out who are those potential That's harder shareholders.
1: harder and harder. Uh, Hard research?
0: No? It, it, paid research is, I, I think that there are some, some options that are out there. There's yeah. some, some more quality uh, yeah. shops that are out there. And I think that the, you know, the, the, the universe of sell-side coverage is becoming more competitive. Uh, it's a shrinking environment, some regulatory changes. Um, that I, I think it makes it a little bit more difficult to get coverage. And I think that puts a premium on you know, using the, the air cover of media you know, like, uh, it, it would be great to get some good media coverage that kind of articulates what the, the investment thesis is and what the growth prospect is in lieu of, you know, or until you can get some sell-side coverage. So, uh, you know, and then... Yeah, that's I'd, a really
1: important part of the whole process is the uh, the media outreach to yes. uh, yeah, Wall Street Journal, but just, you know, main town... You know, yeah,
0: whether it's local media. Now, the, you have the ability then, when you know, if, if you get something that, you know, you get a story in a, in a smaller publication, you know, then you have now through social channels, you have the ability to to really, you know, push it out there and get it in front of investors. Um, so, you know, with leveraging local media, leveraging relevant trade media, leveraging the overall transaction media. So there's, there are multiple ways to get the story out. Um, and then we, you know, we'll, you know, if your if you're, uh, SPAC sponsor has a, a strong media profile here, she has the ability to leverage that profile to help tell the story and, and articulate the value that they, they see in this transaction and then why they're excited about it. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think, you know, that the, the from an IRO perspective, it's, it's about, okay, what do what are our shareholder, what should our shareholder base look like how do we go out and get in front of those shareholders? How do we craft a story that's interesting and, and compelling to them? Uh, and, and then that's the, the difference between you know, a traditional IPO. You have that you know, a little longer time, you have the ability to share forecasts, right. you have the ability to, to share a little bit more uh, information, uh, and hopefully then, uh, build, over time, the shareholder base is gonna
1: transition. And, and part of that communication strategy, I think might diverge a bit from <clears throat> sort of a sta- standard IPO is, one of the things you're pushing is is the management competence. That's kind of a product, yeah. not only during the original listing, but also in the, in the DSPAC process. That's right. that is a, an opportunity actually. Yeah, is these guys. Sometimes are known yes. on on the street uh, yep. for their acumen and so on. Correct. So that might be a little different from an IPO. Yeah, you know, I, I think it, it, where where it's uh, maybe they want to have their own sort of personal website or personal Twitter account or you know.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, they they they, they tend to the the. Uh, management teams that are the SPAC sponsors you know they they are going to play a role in the ongoing business and it's going to be different they the ideal is um you know you're going to have the management team that's been running the business that they're that they're merging with or acquiring uh in the SPAC process and then you're going to have the SPAC sponsor management team as well so depending on what their roles will be in the in the ultimate combined company you may have the SPAC sponsor become uh you know a a chairman of the board Play more of a board level role that is a you know an experienced executive that could be a good uh, advisor to a newly public CEO. Um, so I think that's you know typically what you would see is they're going to come in. they may not always be operating the business. They won't be taking over okay, operations. Okay, no, they I mean, may oh, uh, so that that's uh, ideally it's the operational management team is going to come in and the SPAC sponsor team is going to be there and then helping them grow
1: the business. So you'd be selling both management teams. Okay. Correct. Besides Correct. just the, the, the synergy of the of that and, and Exactly. The operational advantages of the company.
0: And that's yeah. part of the value creation well, it, is that, hey, not this is a, whether it, maybe it's a, you know, a, a family business that is then looking to, to, you know, monetize, take some cash off the table, you know, and now they are looking for the next generation of leadership for the business. Okay, great. They have a management team that they could put in place. Or it's someone who it says, okay, yeah, same thing. We want to take some cash, you know, some money off the table, but we want to still maintain our equity and we want to still run the business. Uh, but it we, we would be great to have the access and experience and, and insight that this senior leadership team brings to help us do that.
1: Huh. Okay, so you're at the point now where uh, you've, you've, you've merged right. essentially management teams. What's your communication strategy yeah. at that point? We'll, we'll go back a little bit. So it, during that de-SPAC process,
0: it is, um, as I like to say, it's like you, you got to be changing the tires while the car is still going around the track. Yeah. Because now you've announced this transaction and you've got a private company that hasn't been doing an IPO prep process necessarily. So now all of a sudden there's a lot of work to be done to prepare them to be a successful public company but also to be able to go out on the road it's developing that narrative the messaging it's putting together an investor presentation it's training the management team it's getting out the you know the process of putting out press releases and telling their story establishing those protocols right. uh, it's then going out doing the, the road shows meeting with the investors uh you know doing an analyst day or or uh, an investor day to, to Not uh, much articulate than any, any, any other typical ipo correct and now you and you've got to do all the infrastructure of <laughs> (laughs) Setting up an IR website and all the things you need in place in order to be a a fully functioning public company when the transaction is closed. So we're during that D-SPAC process, uh, in addition to getting out and telling the story, meeting the investors and and, uh, articulating the the overall uh, strategic rationale of the transaction, we're also working behind the scenes on all the infrastructure that you need to put in place as a public company. Um, so now you get to the point where, OK, we're the, the, we come to the shareholder vote. The shareholders vote in favor of the transaction. Uh, Said so Now there's going to be typically a name change, a ticker change, uh, hopefully a bell ringing to celebrate that uh, occasion. And now you're off to the races as a public company. Uh, and that comes with all the things that you need to be able to do from closing the books uh, in, a, in an early fashion, be able to prepare for quarterly earnings, and you're going to be doing that first investor uh, uh earnings call and preparing for it and getting out and, and making sure that you have the right uh, guidance in place you have the right metrics that you're that you're disclosing that investor you you know have a good sense of what investors are looking for uh, an ability to answer their questions uh, and then making sure that you know getting out there and uh, ideally engaging with the sell side looking to build those relationships that over time hopefully will lead to uh, coverage, getting out and, and being at all the right conferences and all the things that come with this traditional public life as a publicly traded company.
1: I'm thinking of the spec future, the future for yep. SPAC issuance. Yep. I'm thinking uh, the economy might go down the tubes. Mm-hmm. What's that going to do for SPAC right. issuance? That is, is that going to be good or neutral or?
0: Um, I, I think that you know that uh, from a SPAC issuance in a in a down market i'm i think that there'll still always be uh, particularly now as it has evolved that there will be experienced issuers um and then i think when you do have a uh, uh market downturn you know i think you also we don't need a research survey to find it out that those transactions that are done during tougher economies ultimately when the economy improves those are a lot better investments and they, they yield great results right. so i think that you know god forbid we do find ourselves in a, in a in a slowing economy uh dealing with a with a downturn um that's going to improve valuations and i think for those long-term disciplined investors that are going to look and say okay i think this is still a great way um still uh experienced team you're going to have uh you know private equity sponsors are going to look for transactions uh, that allow them either to roll over their equity or to take some, some money off the table, uh, but also participate in it. So I think that it'll still maintain. And I think as, as this has become a more mature uh, and uh, the structures have gotten more attractive to the institutional investors, as well as the uh, private equity sponsors, et cetera, uh, that I think it will there, there will be continued demand for SPACs. And, you know, they, they, you know, there's been talk about, okay, do you see bigger and bigger SPACs mm-hmm. or smaller? I think that they're, uh, you know, when you do raise more and more money, like anything, that's, it's harder to find good targets or anything along those lines. So I think that you'll see uh, continued activity. Um, and you, from a from an IPO perspective and capital raising perspective, I think that you'll still continue to see uh, the, the experienced issuers coming to market. Uh, that they they'll be demand for those IPOs.
1: Yeah, but would there be, relatively speaking, more or less in a down market for SPAC? Is there anything about SPAC and the spec structure that would 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 cause?
0: No, I, I think I think it might be interesting because uh, the. The structure could actually become an attractive place to park cash with very little downside risk in a in an uncertain market. Okay. So I think that it becomes, a th- where I said earlier, they have then that optionality and say, okay, well, I could put my cash here. I know that if I choose, I could you know just ask for my cash back if I don't like the transaction or if the or if the vehicle doesn't identify a target. Um, so I think, it, you know, in that environment, it becomes uh, a more attractive spot for somebody that's looking just to cash preservation. preservation. Phil
1: Denning, thanks for joining us on the Ticker
0: today. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: And that's your Ticker podcast. My thanks to ICR's Phil Denning. Until next time, stay safe, stay away, stay digital. Send me a voicemail, jeff.cassette at irmagazine.com. I'm Jeff Cassette.
0: Citadel Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. The content of this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Citadel Securities.